And I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that we are right in the middle, right in the middle of where uh, God wants us. Uh, we are right on track with what, what he is wanting to accomplish in us, what he's wanting to do through us. And, uh, and I have just incredible anticipation for 2019. In fact, we're going to start next Sunday morning, we're going to start a new series called Focus. And what we're going to do is this, is we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah, but specifically, we're going to look at the prayers of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is considered to be the best leadership book ever to be written. And Nehemiah is considered to be a phenomenal leader. And so it seems right when you have this exceptional book on leadership and you have this amazing profile on leadership to kind of look behind the curtain a little bit and figure out why. And here's what I can promise you. What I can promise you is this, that the effectiveness of any man or woman can be determined in large part by the time that they spend on their face before God. Because the man of God or the woman of God cannot know the mind of God unless they seek the face of God. And it's evident when you look through the story of Nehemiah, when you look through the book of Nehemiah, you see repeatedly he is praying. Sometimes his prayers are significant prayers. Sometimes his prayers are one-sentence prayers. Sometimes they're just a couple of word prayers. And in fact, here's what I would offer you. The reason why Nehemiah can pray a couple of word prayer is because the level, the depth of the relationship that he has with God. Let me illustrate. The, the greater the relationship that we have, the less words necessary to convey a meaning. Boys, there are times where your mom or your dad don't have to say a word. They can just look at you, and you know exactly what they're thinking, right? Not only exactly what they're thinking, but exactly what they want to communicate to you. Anybody else in the room ever have that moment where dad clears his throat? You find yourself in a challenging situation. I can tell you this, in almost 34 years of marriage, there have been many times I found myself in a challenging situation and just a look from my wife from across the room made everything better. Or just to hear her voice. See, there's something that happens when there's that depth in relationship. And Nehemiah has this depth of relationship with God that allows him to pray at times these very verbose prayers where he just is crying out to God. And then in moments, this, this just very quick prayer. I pray to God and then I. But here's what, what, what you can see is this, is that he's able to pray those quick prayers because prayer is an integral part of his life. We, we love to bring renewed focus each new year. That's the reason why the 2019 sermon series that we're going to start with when we look at Nehemiah is a series that, we're, that we've entitled simply Focus. And, and my challenge to you is this, is that you focus. Last year, uh, for some of you, we introduced, for some of you, we, we reintroduced and challenged you with the idea of prayer and fasting, specifically the Daniel fast, a 21-day fast where we fast meats and sweets. And there are different variations, but, but a, good a good way to kind of gen generalize the Daniel fast is 21 days to not eat meats and sweets. And I know this. I know that there are many in the church family that are doing the Daniel fast again this year, uh, starting the day after tomorrow. I just encourage you tomorrow, be very careful with what you eat, thinking I'm not going to be able to eat that stuff for 21 days. And so I want to encourage you to do that. I, I, this year, we're going to, as a church, we're going to do a slightly different focus. And what we're going to do is this, is we're going to take the first full week of January and declare that the week of prayer and fasting. In fact, when you leave today, you'll receive a brochure that's going to encourage you and give you topics to pray on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You'll get a bookmark next Sunday morning as an additional reminder. And I want to ask you, there are some of you that God is going to impress upon you to, to, to fast the entire week, to do nothing but maybe juice and water. For some, your, your dietary issues will only allow you to fast a day. For others, maybe it's, it's fasting one meal per day for the entire week. However, however you can best approach it, 
here's what I do want to do. As a church family, I'm calling us to a season of prayer and fasting. And I encourage you, I more than encourage you, I challenge you to be a part of this. Because friends, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And God's house is to be known as a house of prayer. In fact, let me go a step further. There's a prayer gathering that happens every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. in the chapel. I would encourage you to be a part of that. There's an additional prayer gathering that happens at 10.15. It's a, it's a very short prayer gathering. Right now, it, it happens in, in one of the ancillary rooms, oh, rooms over here to the side. I'm praying and believing that God's going to give us enough people for that prayer gathering that we're going to have to move it to the studio. And that prayer gathering at 10.15, it's specifically to pray over Pastor Robbie or whoever is, is the worship leader uh, that morning and whoever is the person that is responsible. For example, this morning it's me, that person that's responsible for communicating the word. It is, a, it is a brief prayer time, but it is a powerful prayer time because here's what we know. We know that the effectual and fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. And if our church can be known as anything, here's my, here's my two-pronged desire for, for, for Calvary to be known, to be known as the church that loves and the church that prays. I want people to know that Calvary is the church that loves people, everybody, because God loves everybody, and it is a church that prays. Why? Because prayer is our connection with God. So I, I want to challenge you to be a man of prayer. I want to challenge you to be a woman of prayer. Now, let's do this. Let's get into the Word this morning. This morning, I mentioned that, that next Sunday morning, we're going to start a new series on the prayers of Nehemiah called Focus. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you kind of an introduction to that, and I want to talk to you on the, 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 the principle that I've entitled this morning, a message that I've entitled this morning, simply Finding My Focus. Finding My Focus. The Apostle Paul writes this in, in 1 Corinthians 9. He makes a statement. He says, Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. God, I, I thank you for your word today. I, I pray that you'd help us to make it a, a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We commit these moments to you. Have your will and your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We don't have to look very far to see a war that is being waged. It's all around us. We are in the midst of a significant cultural war. We, we see played out on television every day a political war. We, we have this ideological war, and, and we have wars where Man is taking up arms against man. There, there's, there's war all around us. There's also war within us. This, this civil war. Civil war. Civil war. When, when, when a country goes to war against itself, much like the United States of America did in, in, in four years, over, over the span of four years in, in the 1860s, it, it becomes impossible for that country to thrive. All, all forward progress stops and the entire focus, the, the entire heartbeat of the nation, it shifts. And it shifts from moving forward to dealing with conflicting ideals and values. Now, sometimes... Uh, a nation is able to recover from a civil war and get back on track, M much as America did in the, in the late 1860s, even in the, into the 1870s. And sometimes, even after the fighting has supposedly ended, the country remains divided and, and embittered. And it slows further recovery, much as we've seen in, in Chad and Vietnam and, and, and North and, and South Korea. And, and the same thing happens, by the way, this happens in the business world. Right? Companies can become so embroiled in internal power struggles that, that they completely lose sight of their, their purpose for being, their, their role in the marketplace. It, it's, um, it's played out over and over again. 
And, and, and there are many of you that are in the room this morning that maybe as an employee, you've experienced this. You've experienced civil war in the workplace and, and, and you've, you've seen this from a distance and, and you've watched as your, as your company got stuck and, and even potentially as it crumbled. There, there are some of you that are here this morning that even as I talk about civil war in the workplace, your mind quickly goes to a former business partner and you think about the level of frustration and the level of angst and the level of pain and how much it cost you to get out of this uncomfortable, unhealthy, ungodly tension. Civil war. Civil war is something that never has a positive outcome. It's always destructive. I've seen civil war happen on sports teams. I've seen civil war happen in political organizations. I unfortunately regularly have to meet with people that have civil war in their marriage, in their, in their family, in their home. I've seen it in churches. God's word is true when it says this, a, a house divided against itself cannot stand. That, that statement has been proven true over and over again, timeless times throughout history. It's even more so true in our personal life. If, if we're waging this, this civil war against ourselves, ultimately our, our life will fall apart. We cannot thrive as long as there's conflict in our personal life over, over values, over, over priorities. And yet even this morning, as you woke up, you felt it. You felt the tension. You, you felt the tug. You, you felt the draw. You, you had to deal with the temptations. This idea of, of, of civil war, it really, on an internal level, it really is inescapable and unavoidable. It's the reason why Peter makes a statement in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 7. He says, so I find this law at work. In other words, I find this principle. I find this axiomatic truth at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. See, recognizing this, it's the reason why Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, therefore set your heart on things above. Therefore, set your mind on things above. Because this battleground, friend, the battleground of the heart, the battleground of the mind, this is, this is the place where this significant civil war happens. And, and at stake is your blessing. At stake is your testimony. At, at stake is your ministry. At stake is your destiny. Understanding the reality of this civil war and embracing God's plan for you to seek success through the civil war, friend, it is absolutely of paramount importance. One of the greatest, one of the greatest lies the enemy has been able to perpetrate is this, is that Satan is not working in your life. One of the greatest fallacies that the enemy has been able to convince is that to, to the believer that once you say, God's neat, you're done. You're in. You've learned the secret handshake. You're a part of the club. All is well. And yet, here's what we find woven throughout both Old Testament and New Testament is this understanding of the of the struggle that we face, the challenge that's before us, the difficulties, the battle, the over and over again this word is used, the war. Now listen, we don't have to live our life with fear or anxiety. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And God's word has says this, that we are more than conquerors, we are more than overcomers. He gives us victory, he gives us abundance. Jesus said it well when he made the statement that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, John 10, 10, says that you might have life and have it to its full. I have come that you might have life and have it to its abundance. But 
listen, friends, just because God has called us to abundant living doesn't change the reality of the civil war that we face and the spiritual struggle that goes on around us and also within us. And this is the reason why daily the Word of God says that we are to put on the full armor of God so we can take our stand against the evil schemes of the enemy. It requires, just as any battle does, just as any war demands, it, it requires a centrality of focus, a, a, a clarity in intention and aim. And yet it's so easy in the world that we live in, it's so easy to lose focus of the reality of our life situation. An understanding of who God is, who we are, and also the, the difficulties, the challenges that the enemy will bring our way. Now, here's the really, really good news. The really, really good news is this, is that as long as we live our life with a healthy intentionality, as long as we live our life with a Holy Spirit-inspired focus, here's what we find, that there is no weapon formed against us that can prosper. The, the, the moments that the enemy has victory in our life more often than not, it's because of a lack of clarity or a lack of focus on our part. We get sidetracked by this. We get pulled away by that. So what I want to do this morning is I, I want to look at what keeps us from clarity and then talk about God's plan for focus. The first thing that we see in, in Colossians chapter 3 that keeps us from, from, from focus is this. It's this issue of misaligned priorities, Right? Colossians 3, 4 makes the statement. It says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. He, he makes a statement. Paul makes a statement that Christ is our life. It means this. It means he is to be our top priority. It's the reason why, even going back to the Old Testament, when, when God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, if we don't if we don't unpack those and understand them, they can seem very arbitrary. They can also seem very legalistic. And yet, here's what it is. It's God's game plan for us to walk in health. When you look at the Ten Commandments, the, the, it starts first, our relationship with God. And then it talks about how we handle authority, and then it talks about our relationship with others. And God begins by saying this, do not put any other God before me. That's interesting. Do not put any other God before me. Now, on the one hand, we know that that should seemingly be impossible because there is but one God. But when he makes a statement, do not put any other God before me, here's what God knows. That we have, we have this wonderful ability to make things as gods in our own eyes. And here's, here's a, a principle that I, I want you to grasp this morning. That anything that has a higher priority in your life than God, you have, you have put that in the place of a God in your life. I can also offer you this. That if we were to unpack the major frustrations, anxieties, and stresses in your life, it's a, there's a pretty good chance that the, re, the, the, res, the reason for those frustrations, anxieties, and stresses is because of an issue of priority in your life. Here's, here's what I can guarantee you. If you have a relationship that you put in front of God, it's a, it's a pressure point for you. If you have put your career in front of God and you violate God's principles in order to, to succeed and excel in your career, it's a pressure point for you. If you're here this morning and you are disobedient to God's directive regarding how we handle the stewardship of the things that he's entrusted to us, I can guarantee you that finances and your possessions are a pressure point for you. They're a stress point for you. They're a point of anxiety for you. Why? Because, friend, anything that you put in front of God, anything that has a higher priority than God in your life, it's going to become a God to you. And that God, that false God, will fail you. And so instead of bringing freedom into your life, instead of those finances bringing freedom into your life, they're going to bring, they're going to bring strain. They're going to bring stress. They're going to bring frustration. They're going to bring anxiety. They're going to bring fear. They're going to bring bitterness. That relationship, that relationship, that person that you say, oh, but pastor, I love him. She loves me. He loves me. That relationship 
that is contrary to God's directive on how relationships are supposed to be and how relationships are supposed to work. It's a stress for you. It's a frustration for you. It's an anxiety for you. And you hope that it provides happiness. But the nominal happiness is eclipsed by the pain. I see this over and over and over and over again. This issue of misaligned priority. You know what I've discovered on the, on the flip side of that? It's an amazing secret to success. That people who keep their priorities in order, their lives are in order. People who have, people who have happy marriages are because they've made their marriage a priority. And for some of you, I could stop this morning and, 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 and listen, that's more than enough for you. Because you have put your stuff or your career over your relationships. And understand this, friend, understand this, ma'am, understand this, sir, that is not God's design. That is not God's design. This issue of, of having, having our priorities right, is a, it's a major issue, right? People who have great relationships with their family, great relationships with their children, it's because they've made it a priority. If you keep your priorities in order, you can keep your life in order. See, we, we struggle in this idea of a, of a healthy life, of a, of a focused life, because we have a, a tendency to to forget what's important. I, I really enjoy music. I, I, I love music, but, but music isn't my life. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy playing golf. There, there are golfers and there are people who play golf. I'm not a golfer. I'm a guy who plays golf, but I still enjoy it, right? And, and let me tell you why I enjoy golf. Now, there are some people who go, I totally don't get golf. Well, here's what you're missing. See, in golf, I get to play every sport. I want you to think about it. In golf, I get to hunt. I get to fish. I get to hike. See, I get, I get all of that, right? You play basketball, baseball, softball, you don't get that. Golf is every sport wrapped into one. I, I enjoy it, but it's, it's, it's not my life. I, I've been around people and, and I've seen how it can become their life. I... I love food, uh, but it's not my life. Well, it's, it's, I'm working on it not being my life. It's, uh, we're coming into January, and that's that time of year again, right, to bring uh, renewed focus. Here's what I know. I know that it's easy for any of those things to become a, a priority to me. It's easy for any of those things to become a focus for me. You know the danger in my occupation? It's that, it's that ministry becomes my focus. We, 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 see it, we see it often. It's the reason why, if you'll allow me to be very transparent, to be very honest with you, it's the reason why we see so many people who, who do what I do on a Sunday, that they, they stand behind a, a podium and they, they preach biblical truths and then, and then their life falls apart. It's because they've made the communication of the word the priority. They've made the ministry the priority. Which was never God's design for them. See, Paul said it right when he said this. When Christ who is our life, when Christ who is your life, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all these things will be added unto you. Now, for most of us here in the room, we know that scripture. We've heard Matthew 6 over and over again. But here's the, here's the challenge God gives to you on the last day of December, 2018. As you're, as you're heading into a new year with, with new promises, new hope, new directive, new year's resolutions, Can we honestly say that we live it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Would you let God speak into your moment right now and speak to you about the misaligned priorities in your life? 
I understand. I understand that that, that idea is it's momentarily painful. It, it, can, it can create a little bit of, of momentary challenge, a momentary pain. But God's brought us here to his house in this moment, at this time, to lovingly bring not condemnation. Condemnation is guilt. God doesn't work in condemnation. In fact, the Word of God says there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But here's what God does do. And and we can easily confuse this with condemnation. God brings conviction. And conviction is actually a really cool thing. What conviction is, is conviction is this, this understanding at heart level and at mind level, this understanding and, and this desire to bring about change. And that's what God does. And God's brought you here this morning, friend, not for you to feel condemnation, but definitely for each one of us to operate with a healthy conviction. So God, I pray even now that across this room that none of us would be left out of this moment where you bring to the forefront of our understanding those things in our life, whether it be relationship or resource or career or stuff or or reputation or past. God, those things in our life that we have put above you God, would you lovingly reveal those to us even right now and give us, give us the courage to hear you, give us the faith to hear you, give us the focus, even in the midst of this personal civil war, give us the focus to hear what you're saying to us, even as you speak to us through word pictures right now. God, thank you for the the continual work that you do in us. Thank you that you accept us as we are, but you love us so much that you don't let us stay that way. God, help each one of us honestly see the misaligned priorities in our life. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. See, Christ isn't merely supposed to be our top priority. When, when, when Paul says this, when he says, Christ who is our life, it means this. It means that he is or should be the source of our life. Whatever we need, whatever we want, we can ask for. In fact, here, here's what it says in 1 John. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have whatever we've asked of him. Whatever we ask according to his will. Listen, when it comes to winning the civil war and when it comes to dealing with the issue of priorities, here's the key. You ready? Number one is this. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to change your heart. God, I ask that you would change the way that I feel. See, here's what Psalm 37, 4 says. It says this, that God will give you the desires of your heart. So, Ask God, ask God these desires that I have that pull me away from you. God, I, I ask that you would, that you would help to, to strip those away from my life. And God, give me desires, place desires within my heart that line up with your heart for me and your plan for me. And you can be confident that God will do that, okay? And then ask God to give you the strength to do right regardless of how you feel. Ask God to give you the strength to do right regardless of how you feel. I I face this battle on a, almost on a daily basis. It's the battle of the blankets. My, 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 a big part of my exercise routine is running. And people ask me, uh, occasionally somebody will ask me if I enjoy running, and I say, no, I hate running. Hate, hate, hate it. Uh, And listen, if God can hate things, and and the Bible says that God hates things, if God can hate things, then I can hate things. And there are two things in life that I truly hate. Actually, really three. I hate peas. I hate the Green Bay Packers. I hate the Green Bay Packers with the white hot heat of a thousand suns. And I hate running. Not as much as I hate Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers, but I, 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 I hate running a lot. Okay? But I run. I run regularly. And I run because even though I hate running, I love eating. Right? And I got to figure out some way to burn off those calories. But can I, can I tell you that uh, in the morning when it's time for me to get up and run and that alarm goes off, 
I have, just as we saw in so many cartoons growing up uh, as children, I have that little character that appears on each shoulder. Get up, stay in bed. Get up, stay in bed. Get up, stay in bed. Right? And there's this battle that goes on. It's, it's, this, it's this war that wages. I, I find it when I'm engaged in conversations with people who are annoying. I know, you, I know that some of you, it's like you're shocked that even as a pastor that I would make that comment, but confession is good for the soul. I, let me let you in on a little secret. Are you ready? 80% of the people in church are amazing. 10% of you are annoying. Hold on. And 10% of you are downright weird. Okay? You can look around, make an assessment, okay? And you can decide which group you're in. Okay? If you need help, turn to your neighbor. No, don't turn to your spouse because they're not going to be honest. Okay? <laughs> turn to your neighbor and go, which camp am I in? <laughs> and so we all have this, right? We all have those people in our life that are the EGR people, the extra grace required people. Right? And in that moment, that issue of self-control becomes a pretty important thing. Being in right alignment with who God wants you to be and what God wants you to do. It is the key to living the fulfilled life that he has for you, embracing the destiny that he's called you to, protecting the ministry that is, that is, is yours to embrace. And yet we get, we get so caught up in these momentary issues or, or these unhealthy opportunities that they seem, they seem great at the time, they, they seem great at the moment, and, and yet not so much. The second thing that we'll do is this. Not only will we get caught up in misaligned priorities, we'll also, we have a tendency to hang on to the past. And across this room this morning, and, and, and for many even who are watching via live stream today, there is this tendency to get, to get captured by our past. We live in our past glory. Oh, if I could only go back to. We live in our past success. Well, it'll never be like that again. We also, we get imprisoned by our past failure. Oh, pastor, I appreciate what you have to say, but I want you to know this, that a long time ago, I disqualified myself for God's plan and God's promises. And we're convinced that somehow we have done something so bad or, or, or we've gotten so far off. Let me, let me speak first to those of you that, are, that, you're, that you're caught in your former glory. Recognize this, that what God has for you today, the life that he has for you today, the blessing that he has for you today, the purpose that he has for you today, the opportunity that he has for you today, it's significant in the moment. And don't, don't sacrifice the significance of the moment on the altar of the past. Because Listen, life has seasons to it, and every season has victories. I was, uh, I was talking to somebody uh, 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 last week about the, the changing in the, of the seasons of parenting. And I have loved every season with my children. I have. Scott, you're, 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 you're kind of, you, you've got multiple seasons going on at the same time. But you're going to find this. It's going to continue to transition. And I love the days. There are moments, I'm going to say this, uh, my daughter's sitting in the front row, um, there are moments that I wish I could still strap my kids into a car seat in the back of the minivan. Okay? And listen, at, 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 at 24 and 21, you can understand why I'd want to strap them into a car seat in the back of the minivan. Amen? So there, there are parents who wanted to say amen, but their children are sitting nearby, and so they couldn't. It's okay. We know. Wink. So, right? 
But I, I do, I love, so, so my family and I, we travel to Iowa for a few days over Christmas. I love being around my children. I love the fact that I no longer have to say, for the most part, don't touch that. Right? And the opportunity that we have, this, this, this stage of relationship is a blast. And I'm absolutely enjoying life with my children. But I also enjoyed, I know this is going to sound hard to believe, I enjoyed adolescence. For those of you that have teenagers in, in the home, it gets better. Okay, I just saw several parents look and say to one another and go, yeah, right. No, I did. Because I looked at it as the adventure that it was, and I also, I saw God's formative hand in their life, even as they were navigating trying to wrestle between childhood and adulthood. I remember when they first started talking and we could actually communicate with one another. I loved that. I did not love when they first started walking. Okay, that was a, that was a whole different issue. But I've loved every season with my, with my children. Jody and I have been, have been married in July, it'll be 34 years. And, and that marriage relationship, it has changed over the years. But I've, I, I've loved and continue to enjoy life with my wife in every season. You know, ministry is different for me now than, than when I first started. When I first started, I, I, did, I did youth ministry. I did youth ministry in a large church and then in some, some, some in a small church rather, and then in some larger churches. And man, I loved doing youth ministry. In fact, I said I would never be a lead pastor. I used to joke that lead pastors were simply guys who couldn't cut it in youth ministry, which is probably true. But as much as I loved that season, I, I, I wouldn't go back. Each and every season of life, God has blessing in store for you. He has promise in store for you. He has destiny in store for you. One of the biggest things that holds so many Christians back, let me say this, one of the biggest things that holds so many Christian collectives back, so many churches back, is this, is they hold on to the past. I'm incredibly excited about what God has for Calvary in 2019. I say that not to be a cheerleader. I say that with absolute sincerity, absolute honesty. I am thrilled at what God has in store for us. But here's what I know. It's going to look different. 2019 is going to look different than, than 2009. It's going to look different than 1999. It's going to look different than 1989, 1979, 1969, 1959. It's going to look different. It's going to look different because we are in a different day. We're in a different age. Culture has shifted and God wants the church to shift with it to be the best possible light to push back the darkness in the world and share the reality of who Jesus is with a world that is ready to receive it. And so, yes, the church will look different. Musical styles will, will continue to flex and adjust. It, the days are long gone. Remember the days when the pastor sat on those big high back throne chairs on the platform, right? You know, the only thing that I regret about not being a lead pastor in that time is back in the day, there was a big phone up on the, up on the, up, up, up on the stage. Anybody else remember that? I never got to use that phone. I always thought that just, you know, sitting up there on the platform when y'all are looking, right? Get to pick up the phone. Don't know who the pastor was ever talking. He might have been ordering pizza for after the service. Yep, can I have a, yep, I want a large pepperoni delivered to my office. Awesome. I, I don't know what he was doing, but that, I always want to, I never got a chance to use that phone. I don't miss those days because here's the thing. Those of you that are sitting out here, what you don't know, as we sat up there, we couldn't see you because of the spotlights. It just looked like we were worshiping with a train. It was also challenging as a youth pastor because when I was a youth pastor, we would, we would sit on this side of the stage and, and our teens sat up in front, okay? They sat, sat up in front right over in this area. And when the teens would act up, I would have to give them the look, right? We talked about the issue of a look. I have to give them the look because we had, we had a guy in one church that he loved to talk back, especially when our associate pastor was preaching. I remember one day in particular, he... The, the associate pastor said, what's that four-letter word that should be a part of every believer's life? And this guy shouts out, faith! I'll wait. Let you do the math. Right? So I see the teens, and I'm going, 
You know, so I don't, I don't, I don't miss those days of, of sitting up on the platform. And I, I know this, I know I know that God is still in the business of saving souls. I know that God is still in the business of healing bodies. I know that God's still in the business of bringing restoration to relationship. I know that God's still in the business of providing for every need. I know that God's still in the business of, deliver, of, of bringing deliverance to the captive. And I, I could care less about the musical styles. I could care less about where the pastors sit in the sanctuary. I, I, I don't care about any of that. I don't care if the pastor wears a tie or doesn't wear a tie. I don't care if the pastor walks in barefoot. Well, I'm not going to be barefoot. But I'll tell you what never changes. And that is the difference that God makes in a life. Let him do a new thing in you. Let go of those past ideas. Let go of those past glories and let go of those past pains. In fact, there are some of you that are here this morning that there's a ministry inside of you and you are dormant because at some point, a church as an entity or people in the church wronged you and you carry that bitterness and unforgiveness and it's keeping you from stepping out and being the man of God, the woman of God that, got, that, that, you're, that you're called to be. And here's the thing, there are lives that are supposed to be impacted that you're, you're not impacted and there's blessing and joy that you're supposed to walk in and you're not walking in it because you're caught in that past pain and that past offense. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's a new day. And it's a new church, even if that offense happened right here at 1199 Clay Street. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, this is a different church than it was a few years ago. And that's not to say anything about what Calvary once was. We're proud of the entire heritage of Calvary, as imperfect as it is. But we know this. We know that it's a new day and God's doing a new thing. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You ready? If you're here this morning and you're nine or 90, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And it's not to come in here and occupy a seat. See, God wants to bring you here for you to be ministered to, but God also has a ministry for you. Well, I've put in my time. No, you have, listen, here's the thing. If you want God to keep you around, just a little incentive, because understand this, that every day matters to God and every moment matters to God. God is really big about stewardship. And one of the biggest things that God's, God, God keys in on in stewardship as we read his word is stewardship of time. Right? We're supposed to live our lives not as unwise but as wise. Doing what? Making the most of every moment. Making the most of every opportunity. And so, friend, it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter what was done to you yesterday. We have to stop hanging on to the past and step in to what God has for us. And number three, here's the last one. We tend to underestimate the power of sin. This is what keeps us from being focused, misaligned priorities, holding on to the past, and underestimating the power of sin, underestimating the destructive power of sin. You know what? I can do this little thing, and it's not going to hurt me. It's not going to hurt anybody, because after all, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. So this little bit of gossip is no big deal. This little bit of vice is no big deal. This little bit of deception is no big deal. This little bit, this little bit of, of relationship compromise is no big deal. It is a big deal. The ripple effect of our willful disobedience and our ignorance that leads to arrogance, it's substantial because it robs us of our joy. It blunts our testimony and it diminishes our destiny. Never, ever underestimate the destructive power of the sin that's in your life and in my life because it has massive consequence. It has massive ripple effect. That's the reason why Paul puts it this way in Colossians. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the sinful nature. He doesn't even say deal with it. He doesn't even say get victory over it. He says, put to death whatever belongs 
to your earthly nature, whatever belongs to your sinful nature. And here's Paul's point. All sin is destructive. It's very easy, especially when we live in a profoundly church culture, it's real easy to look at the sin in our life and do that uh, accuse and excuse game, right? Well, let me tell you something. I'm not nearly as bad as he is. Yeah, I've got issues, but let me tell you about Marvin's issues, okay? Because compared to Marvin, I'm a saint, right? And Marvin's going to say, that's fine. Because compared to A.B., I mean, seriously, books should be written about me, right? And, and A.B.'s going to go, that's great, that's great. But you know what? Let me tell you something. I sit next to Scott on Sunday mornings because it makes me feel better. Because compared to Scott, I mean, Scott is just a, he's a, he's a, he's a mess, right? It's really easy to do that. It's really easy to play that, that, that accuse and excuse game. Look. I may need more of Jesus in my life, but I don't need more of Jesus as much as the crack addict does. As much as the bank robber does. As much as the woman on the street corner does. You know what's fascinating is this. Is God doesn't seem to give any variation when he talks about sin. There are no big sins and little sin. Sin means to miss the mark. And anything that misses the mark is sin. And so, having that understanding, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I sin every day. I sin in action. I sin in attitude. You know what, I don't want to, but I find myself being selfish sometimes and in, in, in kind of greedy. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to. I find myself being judgmental sometimes. I don't mean to, I don't want to, but, but it happens. If I'm not really careful, it's easy for lust to creep into my life. I don't, I don't chase after it. I don't look for it. It's just, it's there, right? And even the, even the simplest things, I have to, I have to stand guard against these, these imperfections that are, that are readily in my life. Can I, can I offer you this? As a pastor, there are times that we'll receive an offering here for something, a ministry offering, a missions offering. And man, I struggle with it. I'll, I'll go for my wallet and I'll go, Ed, I, I don't, really? I don't think this is a good idea. I, I, I have those momentary, I mean, it, it, th- those thoughts will pop into my mind. Now, I will tell you that a good percentage of the time, I I have victory over that. I don't always. There are moments when I'm disobedient to God in relationship. Let me say this. I've never cheated on my wife. I've never thought about cheating on my wife. Uh, That's not an issue in my life. But I will tell you this. There are are times in my life where I have been very disobedient when it comes to giving and an offering. Or... When it comes to saying a kind word over someone or not saying an unkind word over someone. And and those things happen in my life more often than I want to talk about today. Because I I have to I have to die to my flesh daily. I'm I'm in this civil war, right? There's this war that wages inside of me. And here are the moments when that war has victory. When my priorities aren't right. When I start focusing more on what's behind me 
and what's around me and instead of looking at what's ahead of me? And when I start rationalizing my imperfections, when I start understating, undervaluing, underestimating the destructive power of sin, all of a sudden I see Satan having just these these increasingly large victories in my life. So, so what's the, what's the key? Well, it's found right there at the beginning of Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It starts with setting your heart on the things above. I will not win the battleground of the mind if my heart's not right. Let me say this again. I will not win the battleground of the mind if my heart is not right. So, it's setting my heart right. That my passions, that my passions resemble God's passions, that my passions resemble God's directive for my life. It's the reason why David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And, and, then, and then right after that, the very next verse, Colossians, Colossians 3, 1, set your heart on things above. And then in Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above. The mind, the battleground of the mind. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4 when he says this. He says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think on those things. It's a mind filter. God, let let, let my thoughts be true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Let that be evidenced in my mind. I'm convinced it's one of the key reasons why when we gather together, why we start with worship. Because here's what worship does. It shifts us from all of the cares of the world to focusing on the Lord, thinking about the Lord. And it works not just on Sunday morning, it works throughout the week. So when you find yourself engaged in this civil war that we're all engaged in, each and every one of us have this battle that happens within us. Set your heart on the things above. Set your mind on the things above. And the best way to do that, the easiest way to do that is in focused adoration to God Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.